The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. All right. Well, I had a dream this week, and it went a little something like this. I came into church, sang songs together. We, we, we had some time. We grabbed some donuts. We had coffee. We, we sang just like they did, and then we sat down, and I began to read scripture and talk about today's topic, and all at once, everybody stood up and walked out. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I got my undergraduate in psychology, and I think psychologists would call these tension dreams or anxiety dreams. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. I, I don't know what that means, but I've been anxious about this passage. <laughs> I've been anxious at the, to come to this point in 1 Corinthians. And you've seen, if you've been with us on this journey, we've come to some difficult passages. And today is a difficult passage. There is a ton of controversy surrounding this passage. Some of you might hear some of these words and, and say, that's not what I believe or that's not how I see it. There might be some disagreement in this room. There's disagreement in our town and in in our country, in all the world, about how do we deal with this issue. It's, this passage brings us to the topic of tongues and prophecy. I have no doubt that this is going to be good for us. No doubt. Wherever we are, wherever you are in this process or your, your particular beliefs and how you view this passage and, and others like it, I think it's going to be really good for us. And so... What a great opportunity to learn together, to be unified in our diversity, wherever we are, to hear from God's instruction, to be encouraged by him, and whatever happens. If you disagree, just stay seated until the end, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And you could leave and never come back afterwards, but uh, I'm I'm kidding, of course, but not really. Um, Let's define a couple of these terms before we get into the passage. I think it's really important. Uh, speaking in tongues, this is a prayer of praise from the Holy Spirit in a language to God that is unknown to the speaker. You know, God uses, we, we see this in Pentecost, where the, the church gathered together and, and, it, and had not received the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was, was poured out onto God's people, and they, although coming from different regions and different languages, spoke in a tongue that they did not know what they were speaking, but people around them could understand. And they were built up because people could understand. People from far off were coming in and seeing them and saying, I hear, I understand the words that they are saying. They were speaking in a language that was unknown to them but understood by others. And this was from the Holy Spirit. And this is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. You remember this story in the, in the book of Genesis where God's people, or not, uh, the world was unified in one language. Can you imagine what you could accomplish if our entire world spoke the same language? We could get a lot done. We'd be very productive. And yet these people were very productive, except they were unified against God, productive against God. And so God confused them, and he broke their tongue, broke their languages, and gave people different languages, and they scattered because they couldn't work together. Prophecy. Prophecy isn't just so much of being able to predict the future, but it's being able to tell someone what God has spontaneously brought to their mind. So it's from God, an awareness, a discernment that they are teaching others. 
And in the Bible, this term prophecy is used pretty widely. I mean, we see it. It's probably, you, you understand that word. You may know that it's in the Bible. You know that there are prophets in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets were the mouthpiece of God. They spoke God's words. And the, the words that they spoke carried the same weight and authority of God himself. And so if you disobeyed a word of a prophet, you were disobeying God himself. That's what that means. That's why they were so strict on prophets and on false prophets. If you were a false prophet and you said something from God and it turned out to be wrong, they'd kill you on the spot because it would make God out to be a liar. It was a very important, very serious thing. And the Old Testament prophets have New Testament counterparts. They're called apostles. They don't use that same word prophets, but the function of the apostle is the same as the Old Testament prophet. They are speaking the word of God. They are writing the words of Scripture. And the words of Scripture carry with it the same authority and weight of God himself. And so what that means and what we believe is that when we read God's word, it's as if we're hearing from God himself. That these are the inspired words of God, the authoritative word of God. They carry with it enormous weight, enormous authority. You know, there were, ter- there were times in the New Testament when the term prophet was used in, in an ordinary sense for ordinary Christians to describe an ordinary gift that was from God. And it didn't carry with it the same weight and authority as Scripture itself. You know, that's why Paul even says, if, two or three pro- if there are two or three prophets, weigh them, discuss them, consider them, go and think about them and, and discern if these are truly from God. You see, that's how an indication we know that it's not the same kind of authority as it was in the Old Testament or of the apostles. Because if a prophet came to you and told you something and you said to them, you know what, let me think about this for a while. Let me go and, and talk to God myself and consider if this is from God. That would be a sin. And so we see that Paul encourages us that when the gift of prophecy is exercised, it should be discerned, it should be considered, it should be weighed against Scripture. And so prophecy, as Paul uses it here, is not with absolute authority. It does not carry with it the same weight as Scripture does. These messages weren't guaranteed to be from God. And so these prophetic words are human words. The answer to this question, where can we go? Where can we go? Where is the supreme place that we can go to hear from God? The supreme answer, the superior answer is the scriptures are where a person can go, can always go without any doubt and know that they are hearing from God. Because the scriptures are authority in our life. They carry a weight. They are inspired. They are the breath of God. They are the words of God himself. You know, I have a lot of questions about this. I admit that to you. As a pastor, I have a ton of questions about how does this function in life? How does it function personally in my own life? How does it function in church when we gather together and worship? What do we do with it? Where do we go from here? And here's where we're going to go today. You know, Paul's main thrust in this passage is to teach Christians what a healthy church gathering looks like in relationship to how we use our particular gifts, the particular things that the Spirit does in our life. We've been now in three or four weeks talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've talked about that since chapter 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and now 14. See, the Spirit is working in our life, and Paul wants us to use, him, use it well. He wants 
to prepare us for worship. He wants his listeners to be prepared for worship. How did you prepare yourself for worship today? Put on deodorant, which we're thankful for. Got dressed. Or was it just a a hurriedness, taking a deep breath, getting the kids in the car, and just saying, I hope we make it. I hope this works. I mean, just getting through it. How did you prepare for worship? You see, it's kind of a strange concept, isn't it? Not many of us, I think, probably do intentionally prepare for worship. And Paul wants us to think about that. You know, this idea challenged me a few years ago when I was spending time with a friend, and, and, he, and it was a Sunday morning before church, and I found out he was reading his Bible at home before church. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? <laughs> you're going to church, and they're gonna, you're going to have a Bible you're going to read? I mean, that's plenty of Bible reading in one day. Why would you do that? But it was just, it was so foreign to me, but it was so appropriate. He was preparing himself to be in worship. And Paul wants us to do that, and, and he's going he's to speak to us through God's word. And so, we see here that Paul teaches us that we should come prepared. He's teaching these Christians that are gathered in the city of Corinth that you should be prepared for worship. And many of you are not. And when you're not prepared, you're hurting others. So let's introduce the passage by reading this, a portion of this scripture, and then we're going to work through it. Let's start in verse 1 in chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So we come together, and there are some things that we should do to prepare for worship. The first thing is, when we come together, we should be prepared to be other-minded. To be other-minded. You know, the speaking in tongues is speaking with God for one's own edification. Prophecy is speaking to others for their encouragement, for their building up. When we gather, it is greater to be mindful of others than to be mindful of ourselves. It is not wrong to consider ourselves. It is not wrong to think about how we are doing and how we might be blessed. Of course not. But what is happening was that people were coming and thinking so much about building up themselves and being in the spotlight and people liking them and people thinking that they were really spiritual and people admiring them, that it was so out of proportion that Paul has to come in and say, look, it is okay to think of yourselves, but if you're going to put something supreme, it is to consider others. It is to be other-minded. How might you measure, how might we measure together even, how we would discern you know, what specific church to be a part of or not. You know, we go and we visit a church. I'm sure we've done that. Many of us have done that. We've visited churches before. Many of you have visiting, are visiting today. And you're thinking, is this a church that I will be a part of? And by what criteria do you think about? Do you judge that? Do you assess? How much you like the music? How, like, how much you like the sermon? How much you like the coffee or the donuts or 
there's someone that you, that you know goes there that you really hope to, I don't know, marry, have children. <laughs> I'm going to go there. You know, these, don't hear me say that, these are, that it's not good to desire to seek out things, to see certain indications of a healthy church, but we are both participants and recipients in the worship service. And, and if one is greater than another, Paul says it is better to give than to receive. Jesus says that as well in Matthew. How often do you notice when you go into a church how people in the church express love for one another? How often is that one of your points on the criteria by how you might assess if a church is a healthy church? That should be way up there. These people love one another. They build up one another. They seek out each other intentionally. They are invested in the lives of one another. And if you're wondering yourself, I'm looking for a church where I can belong. The best way for you to belong to a church is to give. To give yourself in fellowship. To give yourself in commitment to one another. To say, I am going to embrace the well-being of people here. That's the best way to belong. And that's not what was going on in this church. Paul wants to encourage them. You know, we spoke last week in good length in chapter 13. We talked about love, the love chapter. We talked about pursuing one another in love. And here in this first two words in our passage is pursue love. Love is an action. It's a decision to be committed to one another. When we come together, we ought to be committed to building one another up spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We ought to be committed to loving one another. And here's the fear in doing that because I know I have this fear and I imagine you have the fear as well. But let's say I do that. Let's say I give myself and I empty myself. Who's going to take care of me? That's a valid fear. That's a valid question. And what that does is that fear causes us to shrink back and say, I need to take care of myself. Because who's going to take care of me if I don't take care of myself? But if we're all seeking out the love and benefit of one another, then you will be blessed, you will be served, you will be ministered to. And that's the view that Paul has in mind here. When we consider our unique giftedness and express our spiritual gifts, we should always be prepared to express those gifts in a way that has others in mind. He elaborates on this point with an analogy starting in verse 6. You can follow along with me. Now, brothers or sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreign, it, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. When we gather together, we should not only have others in mind, but we should strive in doing so. We should strive in having others in mind. We should be prepared, as Paul says, be prepared to be intentional. Be prepared to be intentional when we gather together. Here's the illustration he uses. If a flute 
or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anybody be blessed? If someone were to come up here and grab an instrument and say, I've never done this before, but I love Jesus, and let's just, let's just worship together, it will not be a blessing. <laughs> I guarantee it. That's why I do not do it, because I cannot sing, I cannot play an instrument. It, is not, it will not build you up. You wouldn't even imagine coming and doing that without first being intentional to learn, to discern, to assess your gifts, to practice, so that it could be a blessing to other people. The presenting issue in verse 6 through 12 is the Corinthians were obsessing over the gift of tongues. They really were. They were obsessing about it. And God, in, through Paul, is pointing the attention away from tongues and to prophecy. And if it were to come down from, to one or the other, he says, prophecy is better. Prophecy is superior because it builds up. When you come together, it encourages, it strengthens, it is intelligible. The church, when it comes together, should be strengthened, not confused. And if we speak to you in a language that you do not understand, if we come here and speak to you in a language that you don't understand, you're not going to be blessed. Be blessed. Take, for instance, this passage, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verses, verse 12. This isn't elfish. This isn't Lord of the Rings. This is, this is a real language. How many of you know what language that is? How many of you could read that right now? How many of you are blessed by this? This is God's word, people. How are you not blessed by this? It's Greek. I'm not even going to attempt to read it. It's been too many years since I studied Greek. But then that's why we do something different, and that's why we put up this. We put 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit. Strive to excel in building up the church. You understand what we're saying because I'm speaking to you in your language. You understand. When we come together, we should be intentional to bless, to build up to be intelligible. Here's the job description for every person who says, this is my church, These are, this, is, this is my gathering. Here's your job description. Strive to excel in building up others. That's it. And so Paul's saying, you, this is what your job description is as you come together, as you love one another, to strive, to be, to be intentional, to build up, to encourage. Have that at your fo- as your focus. Prepare yourself when you come together, to be intentional with one another. God desires for us to gain an appetite for edification, for building others up. If people are going to be built up, it will have to be intentional. It does not happen on its own. I know that. I know that. If you're going to get a promotion at work, it's going to be because you are intentional. If, you're going to, if your children are going to grow up in grace and truth, it's going to be because you are intentional. If your marriage gets out of a dry and fruitless stage, it will be because it's intentional. If you're going to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ and know Him and love Him, it's because you're being intentional with God. And if you are going to build up others, it's going to be because you're intentional with them. Relationships are hard, and especially when relationships become messy, when you start the personalities and temperaments of of, of a relationship come out and it rubs you the wrong way, that's when you most need to be intentional. Otherwise, it drifts apart. Otherwise, it's broken. We need to be intentional. Then he says in verse 13, let's continue to read. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You might remember the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets with a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. And he talks with her and, and he tells her that a day is coming where people will worship God in spirit and in truth. And the Samaritans were known, they were people that were known for having their life anchored in a lot of emotion, a lot of mystery, a lot of emotion, a lot of impulse when it came to knowing God. And the Jewish people were a people that were known for being anchored a lot in, in truth and intellect and knowing God that way. And Jesus is saying both the spirit and the mind need to be engaged to truly worship God. These Christians in Corinth didn't have a problem engaging in the spirit when they worshipped. The problem was they did not engage their mind. They did not prepare themselves to think with their mind and to worship with their mind. And so Paul says, be prepared, be prepared to engage your mind. When true worship takes place, there must be food for the mind. Theology and spiritual instruction and fuel for the spirit combined. A mindless form of emotionalism, of feeling something from God, is not true worship. A spiritless transfer of information is not true worship. When we come together for true worship, it needs to not be a circus or a funeral. It needs to be this this bonding together of truth and affection for God. Paul identifies with them and he says, I I speak in tongues a lot, but I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words with my spirit. Five words, that's like, good morning, how are you? Good morning, how are you? Five words. 10,000 words, that's like my entire sermon That's like all of our conversations out in the lobby before and after church combined. And Paul is saying, I would rather say five words and let there be profound meaning and truth than all the conversations put together when you get together that don't mean anything, that are just full of emotion, full of affection, and not grounded in something real. I've been a witness to worship services, so many different kinds, on three different continents, And I've seen people losing awareness of their surroundings, losing self-control, being forced to speak against their will. Even more, a, a frenzied disorder of worship is not only happening, but it's encouraged. I've seen that in so many places. Maybe you've seen that as well. And Paul is saying that is wrong. The main reason... He gets to in this final paragraph, and let's read that in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but unbelievers. 
while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy, all, if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Everything that Paul has said in this instruction finds its motivation and reason in this final paragraph. All that we do is to be a witness of who God really is. He would say, be prepared to be God's witness. That's our final point. Be prepared to be God's witness. You know, personal experience is usually prioritized today when Christians come together in worship, isn't it? Personal experience, like how did it affect you? And, and, and conversations that happened. How did you like the music today? Or how did you enjoy the sermon? Or how did you enjoy the people or the fellowship? Or, you know, and all these are, are very good questions to ask. But the main question should be, did you get a clear picture of the love of God in Jesus Christ? And Paul's saying it all comes down to this. All of my reasoning, all the, the whole reason why we should come prepared is so that we could get to this final conclusion that people would know God more. And sometimes you're doing things that may be profitable, but you're doing things and others are coming in and saying, this place is crazy. I love that Paul talks about that. I was actually really surprised by it, that he is saying people that don't know God are coming in and saying, these people are mad. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? And Paul is saying we should be clear. We should be, we should be clear about who God is and why we do what we do. The songs were good, but did they sing about who God is? Did they sing about his love and his mercy? And when we sing songs and choose songs, we, we are very intentional about choosing music and songs that teach about who God is. The fellowship was good, but it, did you see the love of Christ and the love of God in that fellowship? The teaching was good, but it did, did it make you want to know God more? Those are good questions. You know, whether you are with us as a Christian or a non-Christian, we welcome you. We are glad that, you he, that you're here. And this is our, main, this is our goal for both, of, for both of you, whether Christian or non-Christian, is to make sure that you and all of us are given a clear and honest picture of who we are and who God is. That's why we're here. To know our hearts more profoundly. And to know God's love for us more deeply. And if we can accomplish those two things, then we, then we have won. Then we have gathered and we have worshipped. We desire a high priority to be genuine with you. To be authentic with you. We want all that we do to be comp- comprehensible to you no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Sometimes we'll, we'll say some things that may be a little over your head, but we always want to do a good job of explaining why we do what we do, whether we teach, whether we sing, whether we spend time together. And here's, what we, here's how we want to be a good witness to God. We want to, show, we want to show you how the heart really works. We want to show you that we are inclined to think of ourselves, to be self-centered, to be selfish, to look out for our own benefit. To be selfish and to resist God. I mean, that is really what our hearts are inclined to do. Left up to ourselves, I mean, we would just, we would look out for ourselves. It is not natural for us to build up one another, to pursue others, to love other people. And we admit that. We recognize that. 
All of us, in some way, have tried to, tried to manage our sin in our life. We do this by our own morality. We try to be really good people. We do this by our love for others. We try to be really good people to others. We try to be really kind. We try to be just really upstanding, good, put-together people. Or we minimize our sin or ignore our sin. We do that. That's what our heart does so many times. And we want to show you how God really works. That God is alive. That God is living. He's active. He is real. He is not dead. He is not silent. He does not despise us, but He draws us to Himself. That we have alienated ourselves from Him, but He draws us closer. He reveals to us His love in Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for our sins, took our penalty, and and hung on a cross for us. So that we could be reconciled to God and to His friendship, to His peace. He forgives us. He restores us. He transforms us. He loves us and He calls us to meaningful friendship with Himself and with others. That's what we want you to know. And so it's good for us to prepare ourselves to worship Him. To prepare ourselves for that kind of environment. Now obviously I want you to think about, okay, how can I prepare myself? What does it look like to prepare myself for worship? And so here's just a couple things we walk through. I'll put it up on the, on the board. How can you prepare for worship? Consider your heart. Why don't we come? We come with so much. We come Sunday morning to church with so much. Frustrations in our home. Arguments with our spouse or our kids. Frustrations and discouragements at work. Being annoyed by neighbors. Being discouraged by our finances. I mean... We, being, being broken down by, by illness. We come with so much. Preparing ourselves in our heart with our attitude, bringing that before God and saying, God, here I am. All of me, all of my mess, all of my weakness, I bring it before you and I want to come and be ministered by you and by others. You know, when we don't do that, we can't build up others. When we come so heavy, with the things in our heart, we can't build up others because we're too, we're too, I mean, realistically, we're too occupied with all the stuff going on in our life. We just want to come in, we want to get out, and we want to be on our way. Another thing is to come with your eyes open, to be intentional, to pursue, and to seek others. How many of you come, thinking, I know so many of you do, which is such a blessing, but some of you don't. How many of you come and thinking, you know, I, I want to prepare myself for new people? I wonder if there's someone I haven't ever met before. There's someone that I've never seen before. I wonder if they're new. I wonder if they're just coming and they want to know God. I wonder if they're looking for a church. Have you been intentional to keep your eyes open, to prepare yourself? And so preparing yourself in this way would be before church and the ride in or even the night before thinking, God, would you bring new people to the church? Would you bring people so that they might know you? And would you position me in such a way that I could extend a hand of of welcome, even if it's that much? Saying hello, introducing myself. These are ways that you can be prepared. Another thing is prepare your mind to learn, from, learn about God. You know, this is as simply as saying, God, teach me something about yourself today. I want to learn. I'm open to hear what you have to say. And it's not, you know, it's not, let me memorize the sermon that was preached. But God, teach me one thing. Let me go home with one point of application so that I can be blessed by you, and so that I could love others. That's what it means to prepare your mind for worship. Say, God, I'm going to be in. 
I'm going to be in with my heart, and I'm going to think. I'm going to keep my mind open to learn. And lastly, remember that you are a witness. You're God's witness. People are watching. You see, this isn't the primary thing that, okay, watch what you do, because people might see you and might be put off, and they might never come back, and we really need that. That's not the motivation. But it's a good, it is good for people as we come together, for God's people who love God to say, people are going to look at me. People are going to come to church and say, is there love here? And they might be looking at me asking that question. And we shouldn't neglect that. In our life and everything that we do together, whether it's our worship together, whether it's our fellowship, whether it's our conversations, should, should talk about how great God is. Should give people insight into, wow, God, God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God is forgiving. God is vibrant and alive, and, and I see him active here. Worship is about our hearts and our minds and all of our strength. And as I was thinking through these things, there might be a thought that's coming to your mind right now that's come to mind, mind, my mind as well. And that is, wow, if I do all those things, so much in my life is going to have to change. Do you realize if I go through those four things and prepare myself for worship, how much my life is going to have to change? And I think that's the point. I think that's... That's the point of what God wants, that our life would change, that it would be aligned to worship Him, that Sunday worship would not be an exception to reality, that it wouldn't be that we're living life and then Sunday we have to stop everything and come and worship, but that worship would be the source of all of our life, that it would overflow into every area of our life and our life would be affected by it and changed by it and influenced by it and that we would love God and others because of how we worship together. I have been to church so many times, just going to church and thinking, i got to put things on hold, and i got to be here with God. And this challenges that kind of idea. This says, God, would you inform me in all of my life how I might live? And it always leads us, when we worship, it always leads us to knowing God more and coming to a point of repentance of our sin and trusting in God and enjoyment of all that He is where there is no shame but only love, where there is no guilt but encouragement and comfort and and power to enable us to live as He's called us to live. He accepts us where we are, but when He loves us and accepts us, We will never be the same. So we prepare ourselves. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.